Welcome to Coffee with the Snows, where we talk about everything from the Bible to current events, but always flavored with high-octane caffeine and biblical thought. I'm your host, Art Snow, along with my co-host and beautiful wife, Sharon Snow. Well, we begin every broadcast with me describing one of my coffee mugs for the day, because every mug in my collection has a story to it. So the coffee mug I have today is a white porcelain mug with a guitar on the side, kind of faded, and it says, The House That Rock Built. Well, you may or may not know that this is part of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame series. I've had this mug for many years. It's kind of faded now, but I grew up with rock and roll and love every minute of it. So a number of years ago when I visited the Rock Hall of Fame, I had a great time. I'm telling you, if you're ever in Cleveland, Ohio, stop and pay a bit of homage to rock and roll. All right, we are ready to start our broadcast today. So the topic for today, for this episode, is families of origin. So it may surprise you by looking at Sharon Snow and I for me to say that we are a cross-cultural marriage. So what does that even mean, Sharon? Well, usually that means that people come from two different cultures, and we usually equate that to uh, maybe a Nigerian marrying an American or a Jamaican marrying a Nigerian or some kind of a nationality um, cross-culture. But for us, we were both born and raised in Ohio, the Midwest, but still two completely different cultures of origin. All right, so let's talk about that. So I'm going to talk about where I grew up, and you tell us where you grew up. So I grew up in urban uh, Canton, Ohio, in an urban center deep in the hood. And where did you grow up? I grew up in, in Wilmot, Ohio. Where is it at? Uh, a town of about about 300, 350 people, I think, when I was growing up there. Um, I was actually outside the city limits because the city limits went right down the yellow line of Route 62 and um, had lots of space between me and my neighbors and cornfield in my backyard and nice, quiet, peaceful place. So you were a country girl, in other words. Oh, well, not a... <laughs> you were a country girl. If you're from the country, I wasn't a country girl. But for you, I was a country girl. Indeed. All right, so let's talk about our housing. All right, so my parents, um, we'll talk about our parents yet, but I grew up in just about every month we moved. So when the rent came due, we skedaddled because we couldn't pay the rent to another place. In fact, for a very long time, my dad worked for somebody, some man called Old Man Cooper. And Old Man Cooper owned a number of slum houses, and they would be condemned, and he would tear the condemned sign off the front and put us in there for a month or two until he kicked us out. All right, so that's kind of my housing when I grew up. Tell us about your housing when you grow up. Well, when I was born, my parents lived in an apartment in Beach City, and during the first year of my life, my father worked to build a house that was next door to his parents, my grandparents. We moved in about on my first birthday, and I lived there until I married you. (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievable, I'm telling you. All right, so housing is way different, right? So you grew up differently that way. All right, so let's talk about parents. Uh, My parents were alcoholics, as were my aunts and uncles and grandparents, and friends of all of my family were all alcoholics. My parents divorced when I was 12. Everyone in my entire family divorced 
There's, I had nobody in my family tree that wasn't divorced at least once or twice. And my family all slept around. That's just what they did. It was unheard of to think about anybody having fidelity in their marriage. Uh, tell us about your family. Well, cross-culturally, <laughs> my family was completely different. Uh, my mom and dad met in high school. They were high school sweethearts. They married a month before my mom turned 19. And my dad was uh, already 20. And uh, they were married 51 years and a few days when my father passed away. And uh, to the best of my knowledge, and I think I would know, there was never infidelity. There was never... um, My parents loved each other, were openly affectionate with each other. Um, There there was never never any indication of any impropriety in my mom and dad's relationship. So I grew up believing that marriage was to one person forever. All right. Wow. Very different indeed. Uh, Let's talk about influences. So the biggest influence in my life was rock and roll. So I lived my life kind of being influenced by the rock and roll lyrics of the day. We grew up in an era of the Vietnam era. So people were going to war and I was not. And I was not going to war because I was a conscientious objector. What that means is I objected to war. The reason I objected to war was because Bob Dylan told me to. (laughs) So Bob Dylan was the the architect, if you will, of all the songs of the 60s. And it was the protest songs. I grew up with that. It was deeply influenced by those protest songs. Hell no, we won't go. It went on and on and on. So my, my system, my value system, if you will, was based on rock and roll, kind of drove me, gave me my direction. How about you? Not rock and roll in any shape or form. <laughs> uh, I think my sister liked the Beatles, and that was about as far as we got into rock and roll. Um, far out, man. In our family. Uh, I, my, my influence was incredibly patriotic. My dad did not serve in the military, but uh, both his brother, my uncle, and uh, one of my mother's brothers both served in the military. They were both in Korea. Um, we were very patriot. I grew up being very patriotic, being very politically involved, although I'm politically affiliated opposite of my parents, or at least opposite of what they were when I was growing up. Um, I I grew up respecting and honoring the flag and believing that, you know, you supported your country and the military was an honorable profession. And, um, Actually, I would have gone to war. I My goal in life before I met you was to become a surgeon, or not a, necessarily a surgeon, but a physician. And uh, I was going to do that through the Navy, but I needed combat experience. And so when they pulled the troops out of Vietnam, I decided not to go because I wouldn't get combat experience. <laughs> Looking back, that's, it's really a silly reason not to join the Navy. You, you want to join in peacetime. But um, for me, that's what made the decision for me not to pursue a military career. All right. There you go. So you and I grew up in different neighborhoods. And in my neighborhood, every neighborhood I lived in all my life, and wherever section of Canton, Ohio it was, was always a mixed um, culturally mixed. So there were African-Americans, there were Hispanics, there were Asians. That's where I grew up in the inner city. How about the mix, racial mix where you grew up? The, the mix was pretty homogeneous, homogeneous. 
Yes, that's the way you that's say it. That's the right. Homogeneous. Uh, pretty much all white. Uh, we did have uh, a family from Switzerland who lived across the street from us. We thought that was big cross-culturalism <laughs> right there. Uh, but pretty much all white. A black family moved in. When I was in high school was the first um, real African-American person that I ever really had close contact with. Um, so, yeah, there were subcultures that lived within Wilmot, within my area of context. It's Amish country, so we had Amish. That's a completely different culture. But there was no racial mix or no uh, color mix uh, in, in my sphere of influence early on. Okay. So, again, I grew up in the urban center. And in urban centers, you never dug ditches. No need to dig, dig a ditch ever, right? So, so this brings a story to, to us, right? So there's a story about digging a ditch, and, and it caused great conflict between you and I, which we eventually resolved. But tell the story about digging the ditch and how I grew up differently than you grew up in terms of ditch digging. Well, it was actually one of the defining moments in our relationship and a defining moment whether our relationship was going to work and stand the test of time. Um, my parents were uh, part owners of a campground, and so my dad wanted to put water in the trailer so we wouldn't have to hook it up by hose or whatever. And so we were at the campground one weekend, you were with us, and we were just going to dig a ditch. And I already helped my dad dig a ditch. I don't think he would say I helped. I, I don't think I was that much help, but I knew how to dig a ditch. I knew how to put my foot on the shovel and turn the dirt over and dig the ditch. And it was a pretty narrow ditch, just about a hose width. And it wasn't very long, maybe 25, 30 feet. And so my dad just said, hey, you know, we're going to dig a ditch this morning. And you said you didn't know how to dig a ditch. And I said, it's not rocket science. You just put your foot on the <laughs> shovel and push and the shovel goes in the dirt and then you lift and throw and then you just repeat. You know, it's really not <laughs> that big of a deal. And my dad was, uh, I don't know what word I would use, probably uh, infuriated that not only wouldn't you help, but you didn't want to learn how to help. And so uh, the two of us walked down by the lake and sat down and had a very long discussion about whether or not I wanted to marry you or a ditch digger. <laughs> no. You know, I, I think in retrospect, it was a very important conversation for us. But when I look back, I think my dad had to dig the ditch all by himself <laughs> because we, Indeed. we disappeared. <laughs> so, you know, you grew up in the country where uh, people had guns, right? People hunted. Um, and I grew up in an area, in a city where guns killed people. So even to today, I don't like guns. Um, tell me about the, what that experience was like, you growing up where people hunted and they went out and drug deers out of the, out of the forest and things like that. Well, I, I never remember a time when there weren't guns in my home or my grandfather's home. Um, and we were taught little on uh, gun safety. My dad never kept a loaded gun in the house. Um, I think later on when when society changed. I think he probably did keep a loaded gun in the, in the bedroom in a drawer. But, um, you know, there, the bullets were always separate from the guns and we learned about the safety and we learned about, 
how to shoot. I, I could shoot when I was very little. Um, it just, they, they weren't for killing people. They were utilitarian. They were for killing animals, which we ate. You know, my father never hunted for sport. Um, so guns were really just a part of life for me. No one ever mishandled them or misused them. And um, no one, as children, we never touched them. You know, we just we just knew, inherently knew that they were, you know, were off limits. We didn't play with them. We didn't touch them. They were in a gun cabinet that was locked, but the key was in the lock, you know, so we could have easily accessed them. We all knew where the bullets were. You know, we all knew all those things, but we we just never engaged. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Another difference, right? So when I was growing up, when I met you, I was a young man. And I drove a red Volkswagen Super Beetle. And that red Volkswagen Super Beetle had all kind of Jesus bumper stickers everywhere. So when I came pulling in your driveway in this little town of Wilmot, Ohio, and your dad looked out the window, the kitchen window, into the driveway and saw this little red Volkswagen with all kind of bumper stickers on it, what in the world was he thinking? What was your family's view of that kind of a thing? Well, the first, one of the first things my dad said was, he drives a foreign car. And so we'd never driven anything but Chevrolets, I don't think. We were GM people. I, yeah, GM is Chevy. And uh, my dad, again, it was that patriotic, you believe in America, you support American workers. Um, my dad was a tool and die maker. Um, early on, well, I guess midway in his career, he actually in, invented a part that goes on, I believe, the catalytic converter. He actually has a patent. It's held by the company he worked for, of course, because they owned the intellectual rights to his invention. But it was all to save, partly save the auto industry and the company that he worked for as, as the auto industry changed. So we, we were just we were Americans. We, we didn't think about supporting anyone that would make a foreign car. <laughs> okay, now. So we're gonna, our last example is going to be, um, well, I'm not very handy with my hands. I, I, I don't use tools. I don't build things. When I was first met you, you'll recall that your dad tried to change that in me. So the first Christmas, he bought me a toolbox. And then every year after that, he bought me another tool. And about four years in, he realized it was absolutely a hopeless cause. I was never going to use the tools he bought me, and that was just not who I was. wasn't my deal. So tell me, how did you, tell me about the house you grew up in. Who built that house? Well, my dad built the house from the, the ground up, from the foundation up. Um, he wired it. Um, it. It just, he fixed everything if something needed built. He, he built it. Uh, he even made my mom a wooden spoon the day he died. You know, uh, he just went down in the garage and turned her out a spoon because she wanted one. And so I never, I never had a situation that my dad couldn't fix. You know, if, if something broke, dad would fix it. And he always taught me, uh, don't rush, be careful, think, move slowly and you won't break anything. And uh, that's something that you don't do well either. <laughs> you've, you've broken a lot of things because you just move too quickly. In 41 years of marriage, how many things have I fixed? I I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure there's been one or two. 
I know I've hooked up every washer and dryer That's we've true. ever That's had. Um, I'm grateful that, that that was my my upbringing, but it was hard for me to adjust. It wasn't hard for me to adjust to you not being able to fix things, but it was hard for me to adjust to my mom and dad mm. being, yeah. uh, my dad and my grandpa, um, my dad and his dad, being not resentful, but being critical, probably, probably critical, but just absolutely unbelieving that you couldn't figure out how to use a screwdriver (laughs) and that you didn't want to. And so that, that caused tension because every time they would come to our house, they would bring the toolbox and they would go about fixing drawers and putting handles back, you know, and that it was embarrassing for me because I loved you and I didn't mind but they seem to think I should mind, I think, or at least they mind it. Well, let me, let me ask you this. How do you think a marriage can work with people that are this different from one another? How, cross-culturally, how does that even work? How do we make it work for 41 years? Well, I think the, the major point is acceptance. You, ha- you have to accept someone for who they are. And you, you can't... Um, it, it's not that I want to say that there's no expectations when you look for a spouse, because I think there are expectations in, in a spouse, but you have to determine what those expectations are going to be. What are you willing to fight about and what are you willing to fight for and what won't you compromise? For me, I wanted a man who loved God more than he loved me and would lead me uh, into a deeper relationship with the Lord. And I found that in you. So I was willing to compromise on, on a bunch of other things because they weren't, they weren't core values or they weren't priorities for me. Do I wish you could dig a ditch? Well, maybe. <laughs> do, I, do I wish you could hook up the washer and dryer so I didn't have to? Well, maybe. Um, but those, are, those things are insignificant, and I can do them. My father taught me how to do them. I can do it. It's no big deal for me to hook up a washer and dryer. It's no big deal for me to change an electrical plug. I just did that when I was at our daughter's house the other couple months ago. I just put a new plug on her mixer for because it was broken. I I can do that. So for me, cross-culturally meant um, not compromising on the things of the kingdom and not compromising on a man who would lead me toward God, not away from him. That's good. So what makes us the same culture is the kingdom of God and the king, right? So you and I both got saved a year before we met each other. And consequently, we came to the marriage, came to the relationship um, on the same ground in terms of spirituality. So we spent a lifetime building our spiritual life together. We grew up together in the things of God. So I think probably that's what is the most most cohesive part about what makes you and I having a wonderful, cross-cultural, successful marriage, right? Would you agree with that? Right. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly because I, I didn't want a man who would, um, this, is, this might sound difficult, but I didn't want a man who would take care of me. I, I didn't want a man who, I, I didn't want to be a, a kept woman. You know, I, I wanted to be a partner. I, I, I don't mind working in our relationship, but I definitely, definitely wanted a man who would never, ever, ever compromise a biblical standard for our life together or our life with our kids. All right, that's good stuff. Well, it appears the coffee cup is empty, so that's my cue to close this broadcast for today, this episode for today. Until we meet again, keep your coffee strong and your walk with God stronger. Stronger.